to Cinema Rabbit Trails. Uh, today I'm mediating. My name is Adam, and I'm going to introduce you to the two guys I'll be essentially interviewing today. But one is Jerry. Hello. Uh, the other is David. Hello. So our movie today was Shaun the Sheep. If you're not familiar with that, it's a claymation. And if you're familiar with uh, Wallace and Gromit and Chicken Run, Good stuff. those are a few, some clay <clears throat> animation that, that are extremely enjoyable films. So this was one that, that I've personally seen before and I was introducing to the guys. And I, it's just such a wonderful film. Uh, and actually really a lot to, to dig into, just to enjoy, but also some great cultural references in it and some things just about family that sometimes we overlook. So we're going to get into that here uh, shortly. Chicken uh, Run made me hungry. <laughs> there was a lot to dig into in that one too <laughs> afterward uh, <laughs> you're hilarious I'm just yeah I'm I'm fully aware of some farm farm punnery that may result from this conversation so probably so. prepared for that it's okay we're not sheepish about it <laughs> oh no <laughs> and so it begins yes it does alright so just a quick rundown of the story here. I'd really encourage you all to watch this film. It's a wonderful film. You can watch it with kids as well. So it's nothing, no mature content in here. Uh, unless you consider, you know, any kind of... Uh... <laughs> it's very well, I would say it's very well done humor where it's just yeah. very... It is. It's just it generally is. funny. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you have, it much like Pixar, you actually have some some great uh, grown-up humor in here of just little things that adults can pick out, but not necessarily the kids. Uh, so it's really good, but we'll dive into that a little more. Uh, but first of all, just a little bit about the story. We open up just on a, on a farm with uh, a farmer and his uh, livestock. So you have the sheep, you have the pigs, and so on. And you just get this sense of a really good connection with them, of just being a family. And we open up with some early footage of, of the wonderful times of, of the past life of them uh, loving one another. And uh, later on, we just see how this life just becomes routine uh, over and over again. And over time, you just see where they want to escape from this life. And so they try and lure their farmer into sleep while they try to escape one day. And long story short... Uh, the trailer they put their farmer in ends up running down the road and going into the big city, and they have to go seeking, search him down. And in the meantime, he ends up losing his memory. He's trying to find his way in the city, doesn't remember that he was part of a farm, doesn't remember his previous occupation. So they have to go in and, and rescue them. So they're trying to rescue him and bring him back to the farm. That's essentially what the story is about. So we're going to kind of open up talking about the routine itself and about uh, the routine the, the sheep felt, the farmer felt. We just kind of saw this lapse of where uh, they were just going through every day of the alarm clock going off, them waking up, having to you know shave the, shave the sheep and do all these things. Uh, just so it just became very monotonous in their life. So we'll talk about just kind of the pain of routine of how we experience that. So for you guys, um, first of all, there's something about routine sometimes, especially that you see in your life, where it just becomes a drudgery, something that seems to zap your energy, even your vitality in life, to where you just, you want nothing to do with it. You want to be as far away as possible. So really, when does it begin to wear away at our vitality? 
this routine. Do you have something well, to say? I just want to jump. I just want to jump in, kind of somewhat pose the question: Why do we even get into routine? Because we mm-hmm. we enjoy novelty, and I think there's something um, comfortable about routine where it's expected. We get into you know get into a routine where we can be productive about things, and so I think we just become very complacent and just comfortable and expectant of that. And so while we enjoy routine, it can zap our vitality. So I just wanted mm-hmm. to say that. But Jerry, you had a, a thought. Well, had. I think routine kind of depends on your your response to routine can depend somewhat on your own personality in, in some ways. Like for me, routine tends to be some routine, uh, like at work, uh, like the work routine at an actual job is kind of more of a grounding station for me because otherwise my th- that actually allows me to see my other time and prioritize it, my free time, as uh, prioritize it with the other stuff I want to do, whether it be activities or other projects or other work. It, it allows that free time, it, it makes that free time required to be organized. It, require, or it requires me to organize that time, better way to phrase it. Um, so for me, routine is a little bit more of a grounding. I, I understand that it does zap some people's vitality, especially whenever it involves a lot of work to where it zaps your physical energy. Like once, once if your routine is so filled that once you're done with it, you're done for the day. That I understand. That that's a little different because that zaps your vitality because you feel like it's not going anywhere and there is no end in sight and there's no free time to do anything you enjoy. Mm-hmm. That's understandable. That's good. So working off of the Merriam-Webster definition of routine, we have words like commonplace and. Uh, a character like a like a um, an action or something that has a commonplace or repetitious character. So basically, we're talking about commonplace, something ordinary, just unremarkable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in that vein, how would you respond to that question? Life can, you know, as you talk, what you call it, the the pain of of uh, repetition the pain of repetition yeah i mean i i i've always kind of looked at it as calling it the the daily grind where you're just going through the motions and it's interesting because we're very as we've established in other podcasts before we're very relational beings Mm -hmm. and in the movie there's it's very interesting how they have this amazing relationship where things are great they're on the farm and they're all fulfilling a purpose they see the meaning behind what they do the sheep and the farmer but then there comes that day when all that's gone. The relationship has just kind of become just so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You just expect it. It's, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think predictable. 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 Yeah. yeah, it just it becomes <clears throat> that. And so the routine has replaced the vitality of the life that's there. Mm. And it's one of those kind of stories where when you lose that, and then you get it back, you realize, wow, I really had something amazing here. Mm-hmm. So that was something I would want to encourage all of us to remember is, yeah, life is life is hard. And there's some moments where, you know, it's going to be better than others. But realizing that there are things in your life we can be grateful for. Yeah. And we won't recognize those until they're gone. So it's better for us to stop the routine and realize, wow, I do have some amazing things in front of me. That's I just great. need to appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're right on that, playing off of that. The perspective is different, and it plays into the nature of a claymation film because claymation in, its, in and of itself is built around, let's take this style of animation that 
an, an actual building that looks kind of creepy. It just looks kind of weird <laughs> and odd so many times in every single way with every single character. There's just something off about it so much. And yet it it's one of the most common tools used to create such a sweet story. And, Talk about monoton monotonous. Yeah, claymation. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Claymation can be kind of monotonous in some ways in, in its style, and it does tend to just be kind of weird and off-putting in many ways. But then the stories that come out of claymation-style films tend to be very sweet and heartwarming uh, and very meaningful, So this case in point. And you might, I don't know if this was intended, but I'm going to draw it out of it anyway. The perspective we could have of routine that we need to pursue to keep. We need to pursue to keep the perspective of routine that it is... It can be a grind. It is. It, it can be off-putting, um, but it is a. Uh, it is something that grounds us. I mean, there's a reason why people stick to their morning routines, because like our morning routine is something that we crave, and then the work routine is something that we don't like. Mm -hmm. So the nature of the routine is different, and the perspective mm -hmm. we have of it is different. Because I rely on my morning routine to make sure that like, okay, I'm ready, I'm warmed up, my mind's going. But then the work routine can sometimes be just kind of like. Eh, I'm not going anywhere. Could we say that like your morning routine routine is a tool? Yeah, exactly. Using your morning routine as your tool to help you do your day versus your work routine that you feel like that's something that's imposed on you. Right, exactly. And we need to just adopt a different perspective. Make your work routine into a tool as well, that it's a building mm -hmm. block. Make new mm -hmm. habits. Your employers will like you better for it too if you if you take that perspective because Without you even realizing it, you'll probably be more productive by taking that on. And maybe even enjoy your day. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> and like a tool, it doesn't always have one use, right? Oh. It can be switched up. It can be used for other purposes. So in that light, what are some ways in which you switch up your, t your routine? Just real quick, what's something in your life where just you still have that routine, but you switch it up a little bit? You know, How do you, how do you switch it up? What does that look like in your life? Hmm. I don't know. I tend to rely on my routines. Okay, but what I mean is there's a routine, but there's there's a, a breadth in that routine, right? There's ways you can switch it up, do new things within your routine. But then it's not a routine anymore. Yes, it is. <laughs> because then you have an exercise. You might do five push-ups, but you know what I mean? You well, might then, be doing in it In that case, then the way I switch it up is building on the routine. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah, so building on the routine. But it's still a routine. True, yeah. true. But it has altered. Okay. Here's so, okay. I, I'm messing with you because <laughs> yes, the, nature, the nature of a routine tends to the the connotation or the or no maybe the inference would be the better term. The inference of a routine is that it doesn't go anywhere, like that it doesn't increase. But so changing your routine tends to imply like okay, we're throwing out one in replace of another. But I think the way you could perceive a routine to be, the the best way to perceive a routine is like okay, so like in a workout routine, five push-ups. All right, that's your routine in the morning. That's starting to get too easy and too old, and you're not building from it. So go to ten, go to fifteen, go to twenty-five, so on and so forth. You build on it, so it's exponentially increasing the uh, what comes out of your routine, mm. as opposed to changing the routine. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, if you if you look at it in the general sense, it's still. A routine, right? Because it's a system that you continue to reinforce each well, day. Well, I see what you're saying, Adam. Like, I remember um, I was in an, an acting class, and they were talking about how wanting to just be in the moment. Because the routine, you know, can take us out of the moment. It, if it's used as a tool, you can be in the moment because you're, you're able to process. But they were talking about, like, you know, changing things up a bit. So, like, let's say, good practical example, when you wake up tomorrow morning, 
maybe you get out of your bed, you always get out on the, uh, get out on the right side. Mm-hmm. Wake up in the morning and be like, you know what, I'm going to get off on the left side. Mm-hmm. Just because it puts your mind in a different capacity because routine can dull your sense of creativity and vitality of the joy of the day. So mm-hmm. it's just a simple way of being like, all right, let's just change things up a bit and just see how does that alter simple things like that where it's part of your routine, mm-hmm. but you are giving it a little bit of flair or like, all right, go to a different restaurant maybe where you do uh, your, you know, work on your computer or maybe hit a different gym, listen to a whole different genre of music while you work out. Mm -hmm. Just there's small ways of incorporating things that may be part of your routine that really may expose you to a whole new gamut of things. That's good. That kind of fills in more of what I was asking. So good. Yeah, that's good though. Sorry, I couldn't Um, answer your question. Yeah, sorry, Jerry. (laughs) You're just being a troll is all. (laughs) It's okay. So, uh, so speaking about just the routine and, these sheep and the the pigs and all of them living day in day out with this farmer you just see this over and over again so why couldn't the sheep disconnect from their love for the farmer if they just saw him over and over again at one point they even found him just something very unpleasant just distasteful to be a part of this so why did they love him so much well even a bad boss you need them to pay you (laughs) (laughs) which he wasn't a bad boss he was not he was he was very good but uh replacement was well, yeah, he definitely became. Not that bad, but I mean, he he'd grown complacent, and we yeah. all can fall into that temptation. True, but but yeah, don't bite the hand that feeds you, or run away from the hand that feeds you, because you're not being fed. Mm. And we saw that literally. And maybe yes. you mean they're all were in the routine, so perhaps they were part of the routine of just just going through the motions yeah. until the mm. um, Sean saw the bus, and he's like, "Take a day off," and he's like, "Oh yeah." We could take a day off, and that's where he takes the drastic measure of, you know, not in a mean way. He makes the farmer, you know, they make him fall asleep, and they're like, "Great, we mm-hmm. can put him away for a bit and have the day off." And that's where all the chaos ensues. So, that's right. I think it was a combination of their own routine, but I think they generally, you could see, they generally did care about the dog that was their mm-hmm. over overlord, so you could call it overlord. <laughs> their guardian, yeah, their guardian. Thank you, much much appropriate term. And you see a relationship flourish in there throughout the movie, but then, you know, a genuine, genuine love for the farmer, so probably both, mm-hmm. that they really at one point did care, and part of the routine. Yeah. And one connection that we saw with this love for the farmer was the song, Every Day Feels Like Summer With You. So we heard that repeated, like, you see him, you know, when he's get when Sean is getting in the bus to go find the farmer, he's got it on tape, you know, he's got the, the song on tape, and it keeps referring back to his love for the farmer and the bond that they have. Right. And you'll see that through the film, too. So there's great connections, and we can talk about the music here, yeah. actually, a little later. Uh, but one, one quote I actually wanted to bring up is you see a lot of the dependence uh, between them, but... I thought of a quote by G.K. Chesterton here, and bear with me, it's kind of a paragraph, but I want to just see what you guys think about this, because this is a really cool idea just of that childish nature actually being very significant, a childlike nature, I should say, not childish, but the childlike nature that we sometimes have and kind of returning back to uh, some innocence in our lives and some home in our lives. So this is what Chesterton says. He says, because children have a bounding vitality, Because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. 
It may not be automatic necessity that make all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. Uh, it may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Hmm. So what an interesting thought about children abounding in vitality and enjoying those unchanged things, wanting to see them done over and over again. Kind of like how the sheep wanted this this familiarity of wanting it over and over again. Uh, so what were you guys' thoughts just on the kind of monotony that Sean the Sheep and all them uh, saw and kind of what the quote is talking about as far as uh, those those things? First of all, great quote. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I love it. Yeah, Chesterton just... I was like, he, he can read a, ser- a sentence from Chesterton and you'll have to think about it for a week. It's true. Um, but I think there's a great point to be said there, Adam, regarding how we become very dissatisfied with where we're at and the work that we do. And it, it kind of goes back to our, I guess, sinful nature where we always want more than what we have, um, which was the problem at the beginning of the garden where, you know, Satan's tempting Eve and he's like, you know, you can eat from any tree, but you can't have that one. And there's always something about us that's not satisfied with where we're at, what we have, and who's in our lives, and therefore we want something else. And so that's definitely something to be aware of. It's like, how do we reclaim that childlike joy of just, the sun's up, it's a great day. Mm-hmm. You know, cereal, my favorite thing. You know, like kind of like that dog mentality where it's like, ooh, a walk, my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Ooh, dinner, my favorite thing. Sleep, my favorite thing. I mean... We're, we're not like that, but I think fighting for joy and fighting for happiness is something we need to do. And that's, we want it to be easy. And that's, I think that's part of maturity is growing up and learning how do we fight for joy? How do we fight for, my, my mentor defines maturity is, maturity is knowing when to be a goofball. Mm. Which I love that because we usually think growing up means growing old and not having fun. And... I think life will do that to you because we get into our routine, the monotony of this is what life is like. And if we would just slow down and learn to appreciate the people that we have, the moments that we have, the opportunities in front of us, I think we will rekindle that childlikeness that God really desires for us to have. Some excellent points there. Anything on your end, David, that you want to... Jay, David, Jerry, <laughs> that's what I had. He just wants to hear me go on and on. And if no. I want to combine you guys, I'll just call you Javid. Javid. Or dairy. <laughs> uh, careful, some people have a, a, an aversion to that. A dairy aversion to it. <laughs> point uh, taken. So what about you? I, I actually have no other point than the dairy point. Uh, <laughs> that was, that was well, very well put. I agree with every word. So I got nothing. Awesome. Okay. Awesome, not that you don't have anything to say. <laughs> I don't know how to reply to this now. Okay. No need. So we come to the <laughs> second like you're section. Talking. Moving on. So we come to where they have to go to the city now, and it just so happened that all the other sheep hid in the bus to come with Sean. So now they're in another conundrum of just having to bring all the sheep along. Uh, so in this, we have the sheep adjusting to city life of having to try and cope with what's happening around them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and long story short, the barber uh, or the farmer. He's lost his memory. There was, a, there was a ball that hit his head as he came out of the trailer when it went into the city. And it just made him lose his memory of his previous occupation. So, long story short... he finds short, out his name is Jason Bourne, 
Yes. And then a whole lot of other <laughs> things translate. transpire. <laughs> it's a horrible idea translating that to live action instead of claymation. I don't know what they're thinking. <laughs> so trying to adapt to this new life, you know, they didn't know how to sit in restaurants, all these things. And, and the, so the farmer became a barber, essentially. And you'd have to watch the film to see how that plays out in a very humorous way. But why do we, like, with this, you sense, like, a very distinct sense in which they were isolated from the crowd, where they were very different. So why do we sometimes feel alone in crowds? I think it's just a matter of fear. It's that instant, like, um... How do I put it? I'm trying to think of the best words, but I mean, basically, socially, we're just like I like. It's 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 very similar to like how we feel about like asking a girl out. It's like we want it so bad, and just like this is terrifying. It's not worth it. No. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that same mentality. It's like we're um we're scared because we don't know what could come of it, what the reaction will be. It's just I think it's just basic fear of man. Like but we it's something that we know that we have to get past if we actually wanna get get that actual depth of relationship in any way, whether friendship, romantic, just interpersonal, whatever it is, a quick connection, whatever. Um but then there's always it's that constant obstacle of fear of just like, What will they think of me? Hmm. I was thinking about this the other day about the question of intimacy. Because usually when we th- think of what intimacy is usually sex is the first thing that comes to mind Mm -hmm. and i'm beginning to learn and i would argue that intimacy is not just something you that happens in sex it's we were made for it um i define intimacy as into me see and we Mm -hmm. won't and it's that thing you're talking about jerry we want to be seen and know by people but we're also terrified of it because if people truly see us they can truly reject us but if they truly see us, they can also truly accept us. And that is a risk we are so afraid to, to take. And so that's and that's kind of the hard thing with being in a crowd is there's very little opportunity for that kind of connection. Even even looking at someone, um, fun experiment for you to try. Uh, you guys ever done done this where you're walking down the street, you look at somebody, and you guys make eye contact, and you might quickly look away. And then if you might look for three seconds, you might look away again. Mm-hmm. But have you ever done this where you look at somebody and you look at them for about seven to eight seconds and you actually feel like you see the person? Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you kind of see that this is, you actually see this is a good person you're looking at here. And you kind of, a, a weird verbalist, verbalist, wordless friendship is kind of create, created there. You guys, mm-hmm. you ever, that happened to you guys? Yeah, I can, yeah, in yes. some ways. I usually do it with a sarcastic comment, though, rather than a, a long stare. Okay. <laughs> Walk into an elevator and say, so I'm sure you're all wondering why I gathered you here today. I've met some great people that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's say, like, you know, that's that's an opportunity for you to step out. But, like, you know, at least with the elevator, it, it caters to you opening that conversation. Yeah. But yeah. Well, and it's funny you mentioned intimacy because our, our pastor at church actually had a line about this. He's, he was talking about singleness in the gospel. And uh, just just a quote from him that he said this morning, um, you can have a, and this is a problem with our culture today, you can have a lot of intimacy and no sex. Likewise, you can have a lot of sex and no intimacy. That's a cold realization. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So would you say, being that we're talking about intimacy here, we are still social creatures Mm -hmm. fundamentally. So does intimacy go deeper then? than our need for social um, stimulation, I should say. Yeah. It's, 
I mean, I, I, it's, it's basically like food. Um, food feeds our stomach. Intimacy feeds our soul. I mean, we, mm-hmm. that's why we're, our, our culture is so obsessed, obsessed with sex right now. Right now. Why we're, you know, culture, history has always been obsessed with sex because it is the closest thing I think you can get to the deepest level of intimacy you can have with another person. And we're so close. It's like smelling a plateful of delicious food but never being able to take a bite of it. Yep. And I think that's where we're at right now. It's like we're so close. Maybe the next person I'll get, I, I'll, I can have that bite. And so we're, we are starving for intimacy and looking for it in all the wrong places because it's not, we're not getting filled. Yeah. yeah. I would, if you were to actually put it into just a more basic definition, I would qualify intimacy as, um, as separate from just social interaction. Social interaction can be as much as, Technically, you could even quantify social interaction as just a quick glance at somebody or a um, um, talking about sports or, I mean, even even to a criminal side or a dark side, you could be manipulating someone or blackmailing someone. Technically, that is social interaction but because it is one person talking to another in whatever form it is. But intimacy would be, in my mind, would qualify as just two basic things, showing love to, to another person and allowing and giving your ear to listen to them yeah good and i think that's i'll just say this last thing that's why social media is it's social interaction but it's not intimacy yeah because we have quote friends on facebook and some of these are genuine friends but at the end of the day how many people really want to hear what's going on in your your life some people generally do but that's the problem is you can't have so all of these friends and them all and be intimate with all of them you just yeah. you can't do that it's not possible yeah. so we need to I, mean, I think we ought to develop another perspective on social media because it has actually provided us with a more minimalistic approach to actually show greater intimacy because it used to be like mm-hmm. you would just call your friends now a phone call shows a real connection it's a it's another level so it's it's taken so much away in that you can't really it's it's very difficult to show love through either a text or you can kind of do it through a text but it's it's less personal obviously but um you can't do it through a text or a post you're not going to show love to another person very well through any of those means and but now at this point now just a basic phone call or a letter in the mail means so much you just you can't replace that the act you were talking about listening and love you can't replace someone's actual presence yeah. And, you know, the phone call is better, or, you know, the phone call has your physical voice being present, and then the text has, you know, your thoughts being present, so, yeah. at the end of the day, it's like your physical presence, there's, you can't replace that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have one more social question, and then we'll kind of talk about the visuals of the film, and uh, what you liked about it, and what you liked about the music. Yeah. Uh, so one, this question here is just about, really, there's this rat dog creature, <laughs> it's this homeless creature who we meet, uh, who helps the sheep out uh, to find a place to stay and all of that and I mean the two <laughs> words we came up were like rat dog and a cat possum we can't really nail down exactly what creature it was it was never explained um, so in this case though uh, it was at one point taken into a animal containment unit and none of the people who walked through to purchase animals really gave it a chance they thought it was just this hideous thing and so you just see this reject from society being willing to help out these sheep. But it's, he's still a reject, someone who is cast away, thrown aside, homeless. 
So with that in mind, I mean, why are there rejects in society at all? If we, if you're talking about just craving intimacy and all these things that humans really desire, why are there rejects in society? Well, the ultimate answer is because sin exists. I mean, if you if you want to go in the full grand scale, beginning of time since, um, sense of the word, but outside of that, um, on just like a, you're talking more on a social fabric level, why is there rejects within a society? Not necessarily within a spiritual sense. Right, yeah, just within a society. Okay. I guess... <clears throat> I got, yeah, go ahead. I, go I, ahead. I, I can jump in, you think. We were talking about routine. Mm-hmm. And I'm f- always fascinated how, you know, people all across the globe, you know, we're, we're all human beings here, yeah, how diverse our cultures are, our languages are. They share some commonality, but there's some certain things about where you live at versus a village a few miles away or a country on the other side of the globe. Things are so different. And who knows what shaped all those things. So rejects, just kind of, I'm just thinking here, I can see where rejects come from, cultural norms that are established, the routines of like, this is how we talk, this is where we, how we work. And therefore, when people don't quite fit that mold, you don't know what to do with that person because it's like you don't fit the routine here. You're out of the routine here, so we have to put you off to a side because you're, you know, you're a wrench in the routine here. So, so that can be part of it, where it's just we enjoy our comforts and the routines are comfortable, familiar, and safe. And if someone doesn't fit that mold, we deem them as unsafe, unfamiliar, and therefore that shuts down intimacy. Mm. Uh, you can't be intimate with something, someone you don't know can't understand and that's why intimacy is so important is it's not you have to fight for intimacy you have to fight to know people because you know people are different there's things that you know when people get to know me it's that's really hard and we all have those things that are difficult difficult for people but that's where love comes in it's like how do I love somebody even though they may look different than me sound different than me and yeah Mm. I was just saying just that's that's part of the routine we were talking about earlier yeah yeah, good answer. I, I think there are some cases where, if we're talking about human outcasts here especially, which I assume we are, not not cat possum outcasts, but, <laughs> or mutations, we don't know at this point. But um, I, I think some of the outcasts, um, or what was the term you used? Rejects. Rejects. Yeah, rejects. The re- quote-unquote rejects of society. Yeah, yes, I guess same idea. Um I've, I've seen some examples where that can be self-inflicted, and that's where I I personally am conflicted about the nature of a reject or an outcast of society. Uh, I agree with you completely. I just, I, I, because of some people that I have seen and known who portrayed themselves to be rejects, they then became rejects. <laughs> and it's it's hard to help those people and because they, they constantly think that they're a victim. And I don't know. I think honestly, the quickest way to actually get out of being a reject of society is to not to think of yourself as one. Um, and I, I definitely agree with you that it takes other people and ultimately God to do that. But I, I think it can't. It's not always a uh, um, just a matter of looking odd. Let's put it that way, or just looking downtrodden. Does that make sense? 
I think yeah. so. So, and I mean, even outcasts can find their own societies. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there was even we have subcultures in our in our culture today. So exactly. I mean, it's I don't I don't know how we change that. I don't know if you can change that because we got a lot. You know, there's there are a lot of subcultures where there's you know pushing against the cultural norm of what's going on in our world today. So well, people move in and out of cultures too. Mm-hmm. I mean. I've, I've seen people who were in an emo culture for like three years and then or all through high school and then they come out of college just like the sorority girl <laughs> or the frat guy or the businessman is like what happened to you yeah so it's and, you, and yeah, I remember you brought this up in one of our very first podcasts we talked about Christianese here because oh, yeah. you know, we, we could talk about how America did have some Christian principles that were um, it was founded on about how um, all men are created equal. And, you know, you could say one of the outcasts was, you know, the issue of slavery because it's like our, you know, is the black man made in the image of God? No, he doesn't make, he doesn't, you know, that would have been some historical context there, but we don't, we wouldn't agree that was a right interpretation to do that. Right. Because we do believe all men are created equal in the sight of God. So we start challenging, and it's kind of funny how those, there's norms that were established there. And I think that's the risk we always run. It's like, how do we challenge those norms and how do we, you know, risk becoming rejects because we're trying to do what's right? So definitely I think there's always going to be rejects, but we have to ask the question, why are there rejects? Is it for a good reason? If it is, that's something to embrace. Be like, you know what, hell or high water, I will, I will take the title of being a reject. Because look at Christ. Christ was a reject. Yeah, true. Um, he wasn't what people pictured. Still isn't what people pictured. Sorry. And that's where we have to come and be like, all right. Yeah. But he did not claim himself to be a victim. No. I'm saying he walked into that. Yeah, true. And he knew what he was getting himself into, and so mm-hmm. that's just that's just the thought I wanted to throw out there. So, yeah, true. Yeah. That's fair. Okay. Cool. So just talking about the the film itself, I mean there's you have the animation, the claymation, which is an amazing technique in and of itself is just creating that, but also, just with the film, what did you guys enjoy about it? Uh, whether about the animation or whether about the humor or just some of the associations? Honestly, just the skill of, of portraying a good story with no conversation. I'm always, yeah. I'm always impressed whenever they're able to do that. Like, Quiet Place mm-hmm. did that incredibly well. And others, so. Yeah, the most we got was, uh, like, angry mumbles, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, yeah, I was just saying the humor. I thought humor was very well done. Where I've always, it always humor always fascinates me. How timing is everything. And there was just certain jokes. They're like, there's one scene where they're they're in the uh, the dog or the um, the kennel with all the, the prison cells, and the dog's just looking over, and he glances and he sees this horrifying like dog, white dog with like these bleedy red eyes looking at him. And so he looks, he like tries to make a look like looking at his watch. He looks back up. The dog's still looking at him. <laughs> so he does something else. Looks up. The dog's still looking at him. And he looks one more time. The dog's still looking at him. And then later in the movie, somebody else gets captured and is put in the prison cell. He looks up. The dog's still looking at him. <laughs> but anyway, there's just some very well, very well timed yeah. humor and cultural mm-hmm. references that just were, were there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So there's another one. So there was a few of them in there. Like, you have a cow. You know, the trailer was running through the the bushes there, and the cow got caught up on it. 
Yeah. And then it threw that cow and threw it over uh, like a cafe that said it was called Moon Cafe. Right. And the cow went over it. So there's such great little moments in there, right? Have, were there some other ones you guys noticed? Yeah, my, the one I noticed the most was the Monty Python and the Holy Grail reference. That was uh, fantastic. That was that made, that warmed my soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and you and I encourage you all to watch this because there's some great cultural references, and uh, it's very much a British film. So you'll see you'll see Beatles references. Right. I mean, you'll see you know uh, what do you call those lullaby references, so things like that. Um, so some of the other things too. Um, was just, I mean, the way they use pictures, like what we're talking about, is how creatively they had to use visuals without words. Mm -hmm. So, um, really just, how does communicating in pictures and visuals, how does that help us communicate well with each other? How does it help us communicate well? Mm -hmm. Pictures as in, like, story or the use of images specifically? The use of images. For You, you could use um, gestures, for example. You know, ways in which we try to depict something just through the use of art, you know, just through motion, through uh, you know certain images. Could we talk, I mean, could it be the, the idea that symbolism is so powerful and that's why we love stories mm -hmm. so much is they embody ideas, but, spe but symbolism specifically like, you know, the symbolism of a ring, the symbolism of, um, you know, giving somebody the middle finger. It's, you know, it's just like there are certain symbols that we have in our culture and you know things that just that warm our hearts like you know a smile as a symbol even and that creates you know kind of going back to the whole uh, intimacy thing where a smile can create a connection with somebody even if you've never talked to them before yeah but so think, are they more effective than words it depends yeah I think I mean if you're if you're a great linguist then maybe not depending on the picture yeah. um, and I would rely on pictures for maybe two maybe two elements as far as like what the, the power they could speak to um, or the, the, the message that they can hold the power of the message that's, the, that's what I'm trying to say um, one would one like what you mentioned kind of like assigned social interaction elements you know I mean because if it were a painting um, of, of so for example like uh, some Native American cultures like it was commonplace to actually like like if a guest was invited to dinner you were if you didn't burp after the meal, that was that was considered rude. Okay. <laughs> like showing your teeth and a smile was also rude. Like it was, there were, there were different. I think that was Native American culture, might be another one. But there, there's other cultural fabrics that are assigned things. So paintings of people specifically could change due to that. Um, also, and and just the you know different colors and colors create different feelings and things like that too. But. Um, Especially if we're talking about pictures of people and or creatures in general, um, the relatability factor, mm -hmm. like we were talking about social interaction and intimacy. If you if one person seems relatable to a certain type of person, then what's going on around that person is more. Uh, the picture becomes more influential to the person who can relate to that one to one of the people in the image. Mm -hmm. So you know if you if you look or tend to feel like the emotion portrayed on the face of this one person off to the side who looks like a reject and then everyone around it is is just like looking away then you would relate to that maybe if you feel the same way oftentimes you know just mm -hmm. just different things along like that it your your social relatability to an image within the picture and i'd like to say this like you mentioned uh, we kind of <laughs> mentioned about claymation 
seems to tend to more heartwarming themes. And perhaps why claymation is so enduring, like Chicken Run, we've you know we 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 love Chicken Run, but perhaps one of the reasons why they're so enduring is they kind of they kind of have to go for those those themes and they try to find out what are these common symbols if you may use that that we all kind of relate to and that's why certain stories have stood the test of times versus maybe a lot of TV shows will be on for two years and never heard of again because you know you don't have enough relatable content you don't have enough those those symbols and I'm using symbols now very very broadly but to relate to so yeah, we just I think maybe it's just symbols are a very quick way we can relate to symbols very quickly mm-hmm. because we see the picture, we understand it and then we can we know what to do with it. Speaking of related quickly. Okay. We have uh the song Every Day is Summer with You. It sounds so uh, that's sad. something I kept referencing back. It did take on a melancholy tone through the film, didn't yes. it? So, uh with that in mind, you know, we always know that the farmer was their their hope that they wanted to keep getting back to this. And so when it really comes to us, the way that we can be a home to other people, whether that's just being hospitable and being a comfort and an active presence in someone's life. So this is a question for you all, uh, just to kind of start closing out here. How do you want to be home for someone? One way I want to embody this when, when I become a dad is... I want to have a house where I can be, you know, very transparent with my my kids, and just talking about how life, the ambiguity of life, growing up, uh, being a young man, and just dealing with just how your body's changing, feelings, um, questions about life, and one way I want to kind of be home um, is going to be the term "let's take a walk." And just this, you know, hey, son, let's take a walk. And it's just an opportunity for us just to talk about stuff. You know, how, how was school? How'd you do on that test? Uh, you know, how, how have you talked to that girl yet? But that, but I want that to become something where if I'm working on a project right now, and I can get very engrossed in projects, but I want him to be like, you know, hey, dad, I need to talk to you. I'll be like, son, can I talk to you later? He said, um, we, we need to take a walk. And for me, that would be a, a sign to be like, Give me five minutes, I'll get my shoes on. Because I know this is something important. So it gives him an opportunity to be... Good. Never thought we'd have this this theme of um, vulnerability and intimacy coming back. But he, he has access to me like that. Where he knows these are the words I, u- I can use to get to my dad's heart very quickly. And I know he will receive me. And we can talk about whatever's going on. So in that regard, um, I want to be home to be available for people and I'm realizing that is really tough to do because as we talked about routine you get into your routine um, you lose the moments what's going on around you so um, yeah this has been good Adam just a good challenge for me to really evaluate what is my routine is it a tool am I using it or is it using me mm-hmm. and as a result am I being home to people being available to talk and in training me to be that one day be that for my son and daughter be like hey let's take a walk I'm going to be a little bit more general. <laughs> um, that was just something I was just like... Yeah, no, that was, that was good. Um, <clears throat> my answer is, it's, it's obviously along the same lines, I think, talking about the definition of, of home and what that actually looks like, but um, I'm going to say a cliche here, home is, uh, 
home is where your family is. You know, it's not necessarily a place, though. I would argue that definitely, you know, familiarity invites a a better sense of home than simply just people. Um, but it is a better combination when it's both. Um, but put simply, I guess the way what what was the exact wording of your question again? So how how do you want to be home for someone? Okay, how do yeah so. I want to be home for someone by uh, right now where I don't personally own property. <laughs> um, I want to be someone that people want to come back to that I can, that we can speak into each other's lives. Like, like this is something of a home for me here in Nashville. It's not, it's, it's not going to my actual blood relatives necessarily. That is, a, that is another home for me, but this interaction with you guys, you were my brothers in Christ and just, and as friends, you were brothers and so this is a home for me here in Nashville. And I, this is something I like coming back to. Mm-hmm. So same principle in, in a family sense. I want it to be not only something that my kids and uh, kids and relatives and friends want to come to. It is also something that I want my kids to want to replicate in their lives in their, in, in their own way down the line. I want them to see the home that I've built and say, I want that Obviously, it's within their within their own design, but I want to build that in my own way, as well down the line. Mm-hmm. So, so example, so basically, a home for return and for resemblance later on in my kids' lives. Mm-hmm. I like that a home for return and resemblance. Yeah, good. I was I'm, I'm really Ibsen. glad Quote. to. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm really hey, there's glad your to. movement that you can be the start of. There we go. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Adam, what you're saying. You're good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear those answers from you guys, and those those are great thoughts, and definitely some great things to think about too. Just like what you said about routine, David, and uh, but I I appreciate the ways of, in which you guys are, are thinking through this, and just want to see ways of just incorporating more of being a home in your lives. So those are great things. Well, that about wraps us the wraps up the conversation. Of our podcast. <laughs> the routine. <laughs> it never is the same, is it? Oh, always no, seems so. To therefore, it's not a routine. Oh boy! <laughs> but because it's not the same, is that the routine? <laughs> no, that's just mind yeah. blown. Okay. okay, all right. So we'll be sure to let you know how that argument goes after we <laughs> get off here. I'm totally kidding. So thank you guys so much for listening. I've been your mediator today. My name is Adam. I am Jerry, and I'm David. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.